Well, well, what I figure is, well, uh, I don't know. Do you want to like, you know, I mean, it's assistant editors month, so we're sort of. I mean, I, I mean, I think what a lot of the Back to the Bins listeners are craving are actually having three people on Back to the Bins who actually bring comics and talk about comics. Yeah. So we'll finally, we'll finally give the people what they want. And, but I was like, I'm going to listen to a few episodes of Back to the Bin, get their format down. And so it's like, oh, okay, whatever. Well, I, felt, I felt bad because... Come in here and straighten things out. We'll get a real crew in here. I was going to say, well, if you're reading it when you were 15 and you thought she was hot. Yeah, but now, now, Dario. Yeah, but look... She didn't. I was probably. I, I'm gonna have to rethink our eat it and beat it uh, yeah. thing here. I'm gonna have to keep certain material away from you, maybe. I even have the action figures. Oh! 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 No! No! You, you weren't. You weren't doing Rick Moranis in uh, Spaceballs with them, were you? But, but to my credit, um, uh, David Pascarella has the same action figures up on his wall, so. Okay. There. Oh, okay, so that makes it better, Dario. It okay. Does, it does, throw, throw David Pasquarella under the bus. Member of the community. Well, um, right. I think, by the way, that Back to the Bins was my first True True Freaks experience. I don't even know how I the hell I started listening. Ooh, that's that's the band we eventually put together, the Two True Freaks experience. <laughs> it's it's the uh, it was God invited me onto an episode, and we did. It was funny. We both choose. We both chose. We both chose Howard Chaykin books. Ah. Oh, did he pick Black Kiss? No, he chose. Uh, was it Cinnamon? An episode, uh-huh. uh, an issue of the, the miniseries Cinnamon, and I chose the first uh, issue of the Scorpion, which was, of course, the Atlas Seaboard comic that he did. Which, when Atlas Seaboard went belly up after three months, he just shrugged. Walked up the block to Marvel, crossed out the character's name, and put in Dominic Fortune, and just printed the rest of the stories. No filters. Um, my filter has gotten a lot better on my brain at work. I've, I've stopped. I, I'm thinking a lot before I speak now. <laughs> before I would just say whatever the hell I wanted. Oh, yeah, that's right. We can't swear on this one either. Yeah, yeah. I'll have to bleep it. We should, we should, yeah, okay. <laughs> we should have, like, Dolomite going, like, Yeah. Don't, don't make totally it too hard on the editor. That's all I gotta Let's say. Let's do just an hour long of straight beeps. <laughs> <laughs> and he eats people. <laughs> gotta eat. You hungry? Yeah. I could eat. Well, that's the great thing about comics is you can always write more people. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. That's true. You know, it's not, it. a, not a problem. Uh, how do you want to bring this in? Uh, you, you do a pretty good job. S- sim- similar to a... Uh... Well, they always bring theirs in with little uh, with little quips before they do the... Oh, yeah. No, we already did those. I'm going <laughs> to take the parts where we were talking about how Back to the Bin sucks. <laughs> Back to the Bin...
and welcome to Back to the Bins. It's Assistant Editors Month, and oh boy, are we here to make it hurt. <laughs> I am Chris Honeywell, and now that you've heard that name, you know you know that I've brought quality with me to Back to the Bins this time. Uh, for my other for for the to round out the trio here, I've brought uh um two of my partners in crime from other videos. I've got Dario Gonzalez from Eat It and Beat It. Eat it correct. My name is Dario Son. Dario Son Gonzalez. <laughs> and uh <laughs> and in a stunning reversal of of fortune, now I bring on Thomas DJ as the guest onto a podcast instead of me as a prisoner, although I still have a looming Jeez. death ray hanging over my head, so I, I can't still be too aggressive about it. Is, so is that, is that what up. that is? I thought it was yeah. a halo. But, but we brought lunch. <laughs> it's a new invention that we cooked up at the Odaka Dekaganagon. I like it. I feel like Kurt Russell in Escape from New York with two explosive devices in my arteries on either side of my neck. No, the cup that you're eating from contains time itself. Oh, gosh. Ladies and gentlemen, hang on to your hats and and get ready because this is going to be a back to the bins where all three people actually brought a comic book that they read in to talk about. Oh, We're going to actually know. talk about our comic books. I like professionals. We, I didn't know we had to do that. Oh, okay. Oh, whatever, Bill. Explain about all, all the, the comic shops we went to. So Dario's going to be the Bill, I guess, of uh, of this group. Yeah, and, and I've got a really short skirt on. And let's face it, Thomas and I are going to fight fight over who gets to beat Paul. <laughs> I, I think Virginia's jealous, Dario. Oh well, I am 15, so I'll definitely <laughs> get up a little bit, a little bit here. Yes, yeah. Dario Gonzalez has been has been tested as as psychologically 15 years old. Yeah, absolutely. Why we brought him to the Two True Freaks fold? And, I, and, a, and a good fold it is to be in. Thank you very much. But you may not be thanking me after you see my selection of uh, comic for. But you know what the problem is with this fold? I keep getting my <laughs> caught in it. Yeah. We can put a little beep there. <laughs> or a big beep. <laughs> or a big. I still think we should find, like I said, we should find like like Rudy Ray Moore or somebody going. Ooh! <laughs> well, my favorite beep would be somebody going, "Oh!" and then you'd have to bleep out the in that, yeah. which which is right now what people are hearing is just a series of bleeps. But yeah, that right. would be my, yeah. It so it'd be a bleep be a upon test. bleep. It'll just be a test pattern from the old days of TV. Beep. <laughs> That's basically been the Two True Freaks podcast from the very beginning. <laughs> anyway, Dario. But, you know, you were you were warning us, but you're going first, man. We brought we brought yours in first because definitely we want we've got a running theme. <laughs> well, I I have decided to dive into uh, the world of manga. Now I have never 
read manga in my life. Um, my son likes some manga. Uh, I know that that you know you you read it from the back to the front, and then I didn't know that you also read it backwards from from when you're reading it. So it took me a while to figure that out, and I did. But my book is a book that I heard about years ago, and I don't know. It was on somewhere another podcast that they were talking about this book that was called Project X Cup Noodle, and and uh, it's all about the sequel to the Matthew Broderick. Films. Yeah. It's all about the history of instant noodles of uh, and and I love instant noodles and I had no idea that that it had such a a well I want to say interesting and rich history but the comic goes more into um marketing of it and but 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 you don't need superheroes to have a great comic. Mm-hmm. I mean Project X uh came out in 2002 and it was a series of manga that was dedicated to different successful businesses very japanese it was a tv show first there's also another one out there about the story of the 7-eleven uh and and uh maybe that might be something i might be looking at next time but you don't need superheroes when you have heroes like kunio matamoto in charge of noodle development mufuku and you don't need to bleep that out. <laughs> and do you and do president of Nissan Foods. And it keeps going. You have Toshiko Matasuto, who's the poor wife of a guy who has to eat noodles all day long and wonders why he's never hungry when he comes home from work. And 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 I wanna and and I wanna mention also Yeah, and he has his wife make tiny little she just dedicates her life to making him meals of tiny little portions of different things so because he has no appetite but i also want to mention that all these people are just guys yes you know you don't have a superhero outfit what one guy like have a cap on or something but they're just they're just japanese guys they're They're japanese businessmen that's their superhero powers their superhero powers were to develop a noodle that you would fry first and and then fry it to the right consistency that you could add hot water to well, I was like, how am I going to keep track of this this gallery of, of people oh, in this? I, I was kind of not looking forward to reading this because I thought it was going to be a difficult read. And I was I should have known better because I've heard about simple. how great this this comic is. It's, it's it is. Bizarre. It's it, It's very readable. <laughs> it's very it's very readable. And where else are you going to find the magic of science where you can develop? Oh my God, the shrimp is a so red. <laughs> so red. It's so red. And and it's it it's such an important food. I mean, I don't want to turn this into an ep, into a into a into into eat it. But I mean, cup of noodles have. That they've always been there, man. I've sustained pretty much anybody who's gone to college. It is such know. an important food. I mean, my I wife moved into the dorms at <laughs> Hunter College for one year. The first meal I had was cup noodle. Oh, of course. My wife makes mixes it. She has a recipe. She mixes it with cream cheese, and it's like I, I don't understand it, but but it's it's always been there. And well, this story begins. I guess I could get into. Uh, l- let us let us go to the Nissan uh, Food Corporation 
in uh, Tokyo, Japan. We're 28-year-old Turushia Akiyama, business manager, has just received his newest cup noodle prototype. Now, although the shrimp is red and tastes good, uh, people have never seen anything like this in Japan. A culture of of ready-made street food. It, it, at this time, it, there was no um, fast food like this. I've never had anything like this, you know. And and but no wholesaler in Japan or supermarket would touch the stuff, and no one would deal with it. So it just wasn't it wasn't what Japanese people are used to eating. They weren't used to you know their noodles. If you ever had uh, Japanese noodles or been to sorba noodles or or ramen, is it is a it's serious business, man. You know. So yeah. they didn't want anything to do with it. There's never been a food like this before. And people were basically intimidated by it. And and the price. The price was a hundred yen. A hundred yen, which which it averages out at the time to ninety-four cents, which was considered quite high. So that and but it must sell. And as the front man of the business, he has to find a market for this. It is a matter of honor. So our hero in a suit and tie heads out to try and find a market for these amazing instant noodles or even to get people to try it. I mean, look, he would go to his boss and say, look at the product. No cooking is required. No bowl is required. Only hot water. I mean, it's a miracle. It, it's it's terrific. So he hits the road and he goes to where he can find large groups of people. Horse track. No luck. Okay. Too dangerous. I mean, what if in the excitement of the race, a customer should scald himself with the hot water? Okay. No good at the horse track. Next, the baseball stadium. Very interesting, but no good. What if a customer, what if a, a, a customer scalds himself with the hot water? Okay, so then he goes to the bowling alley. No, no good at the bowling alley either. The old folks' home. No, and and he, the only place that he actually found some success at the beginning was the firehouse because the firemen work late at night and all of the restaurants are cold. He took some to the firehouse and the first thing they did was they thought that he was drunk you know he's some kind of a drunk man no 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 taste these noodles and and they tasted them and and they liked them they they actually enjoyed the noodles and they started to buy some of them for the firehouses because these guys work all night and there's just nowhere to eat slowly but surely the market picks up but very very slowly and there are warehouses filled with cup noodles. And so what is our hero to do? Well, at the time, there was a, uh, I guess it was kind of like a World's Fair or something was going on called the Pedestrian uh, Paradise. And it was a type of a fairground and it had a lot of foot traffic. So he said he was going to set up a stall there and give away cup noodles for free. And, he, and they would yell out, it is chic, it is fashionable, you can eat it anytime, on the move, 
anywhere. So amazing your cheeks will melt, which I thought that was pretty good. I don't know if I wanted my cheeks to melt. Yeah, okay. People went nuts, and they're giving it away for free. Slowly, they stayed at this pavilion, and they started to sell them. They were lines going across buildings, two, three hours of people waiting in line to get their hands on this miraculous new food. So much so that 20,000 products, uh, items, bowls, cups, whatever, miracles in a bowl were moved in just four hours. Amazing. And, And that led to to cup noodles, as we know them, uh, cup of noodles or Nissan cup of noodles becoming probably one of the most famous and widespread foods in the world. So much so that in Japan, they keep warehouses filled with noodles for, for emergencies. Uh, I walked by racks and racks of them today at the supermarket. Yeah, and there are everywhere. And and it, it was not a difficult thing to invent. I would have liked for them to have gone into maybe a little bit more of the trial and error because it, it was very difficult. You, you, you take the noodle and you, you uh, flash fry it, and so it dries it out, and then you add – your, your water and your dehydrated uh, spice. And one of the most interesting things I liked about this was the interviews at the end where they interviewed some of the, uh, some of the executives. The translations, they were a little funky, but then they actually had a crosscut of the cup of noodles where you can see where it was, if you cut a cup of noodle across crossways, you can see that it's thicker, the noodles are thicker on the top than they are at the bottom. So when you add the water, it the, the heat of the water will slowly make the noodles tender at the bottom, working its way up to the top. A genius, genius. Oh, yeah, and they had to fold the noodles together right to get the water to go between them evenly and stuff like that. So, yeah, it was ridiculous. You never, you never think about how much work went into the development of these noodles and how difficult it was for them to be accepted by uh, the Japanese public. But once they were accepted, they are a mainstay in almost every Asian country in the world and in in every country in the world. They have a shelf life of probably forever. And in emergencies, what do you think the first thing Japan sends? They send cup noodles. Yes, when the Soviet Union collapsed in 1991, its economy was in chaos and food became scarce. Send them a cup noodles. (laughs) They all live like American college students. They all live like American college students. Every disaster that that happens, one of the first things that they send are cup noodles in every single uh, – I I, I still love them. I I order some online when I see them. There's this one brand from – they're Korean. They are so spicy that I'm sitting there wondering why am I eating this. But now I'm proud to eat it because I know it's history. You got the story. I, yeah. So what I love about this is there's so much of the collision. Like if this was if this was an American story, it would be so much different, you know. Exactly. Because the, the the salesman at one point is to his boss like, look, we can make these real cheap, you know. 
this can be like this cheap state and the boss is like no like in america the boss would be like no we want to get a dollar from it because we want to make as much money the boss is like look if we go too cheap people aren't going to think this is quality we're going to make we're going to make this quality we're going to you know really think about how we want to dehydrate the spices and and all this so you know we put the dollar on it to give it a little bit of of cachet in the and you know and and of course everybody's favorite part of this comic where <laughs> the boss realizes the philosophy the philosophy time is money it is personified by the cup of noodles the the cup also contains time itself wow that's deep who what american like marketing guy is going to say that you know no and it's going to say like you know this this will make you very fertile <laughs> and appealing to women well the author uh taco tadashi was also the artist in in this book so he wrote this book and and uh drew it and it's it's typical manga i mean so i i guess i've seen more manga-ish comics but it has a it has a pleasant type of artwork that i that i that i it was easy on the eyes uh and you're right when you say that you know we know the japanese are consumers of comics and manga i think more than any country in the world they love their comics i don't think in the united states you could you could come up with a comic quite like this about this is the kind of story we tell in comics yeah. normally maybe in some you know alternative press comics someone would do a prestige you know maybe in the 90s when they were like fantagraphics was out and stuff you would see something maybe similar to this but they would probably pick you know in america this would be more like something people would want to see as a netflix documentary or something like that yeah. but or if you would eat the uh, cup of noodles, you'd get superpowers, you know? Yes. Yeah. 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 No, we have, I mean, that's, that's the thing is it with, with manga. I mean, you know, I mean, we have a very, like a lot of people have a limited I idea of what manga is because they're, you know, there's a certain time it's popular in America. Generally the most popular stuff. Right. The, the stuff that is more easily, translatable to what we think of as comics yeah and and it goes to show that comics can be so much more than than you know than your spinner rack superhero dc i mean it, and hats off to them i I'm, i'll try and look for the one about the 7-eleven i mean well, what here, the hell can you talk about 7-eleven i mean there, there's something there's something manga acknowledges that the american comics doesn't acknowledge as much and that's the collision in comic books of art uh, art quality and production time so you know like you and used to have these art uh, artists like michael golden who drew these incredibly detailed beautiful frames but like they were never on time and stuff whereas in japan they've had to they've had to like develop this this shorthand so you can draw it quickly you know yes. they're you know but but that that shorthand is very simple and effective in telling a story and at first i found it awkward and 
and kind of half-assed. Yeah, and, I did And too. now as I've read, as I read more and more, I've become appreciative of it as like, okay, we're using a visual shorthand because yeah. we've got to draw comics regularly yeah. here and it becomes its own language. And once you get used to the language, it can be, it's, you know, in the right hands, it can be incredibly elegant. Oh, I can imagine some, some boss just standing over them. Draw a comic faster. Faster. Well, yeah. that's what, that's what touch your, during the 40s yeah. and 50s and 60s. That's what comic. Yeah, yeah. Comic touch, right, right. Touch your Make comic, hurry, you know, and just. But and I thought I'd be the first one with the F bot with with it with the. Yeah, yeah, man, come on, man, I gotta edit this thing. Oh, what's, <laughs> what's what is a tentacle porn? I like this. So yeah, it 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 just it branches out to that comics can be anything if you have a, a good enough story or even a story that you don't think is good enough. There's always an interesting an interesting progression of how it happened. I like the mixed media that they used at some points here in the back, like the, the, the back part of the comic, like I was saying that they would, they would show the sales of, uh, cup noodles and how they increased. And, and, you know, absolutely that splits, that split, uh, cup noodle that I saw. Fascinating. I mean, I'm not saying, you know, it's not, it's, you know, not the, that's not going to sit up on my higher echelon of comics I've ever read, but it, I, I, I kind of enjoyed it. I, I, I did. I, I really enjoyed it. It was a, a very – I'm going to read the whole series because just reading that one ep- issue was like – it was fast and fun, and it was fascinating. Yeah, and for manga – The three it, Fs. Yeah, for, for, for manga – I'm the something... first one to drop the F-bombs. <laughs> For manga, this is something I can understand uh, better than you know um, your typical manga that that like my son reads about um, their you know video game characters and fast paced and then they would probably be all right too. But this was fun. This was something that relates to to something that we all are know and love. So uh, so there there's a there's um project x and project x for those of you that want to look into it um is the title of the series of comics there yes, are the, the, the one we did was chapter six i believe or yes. you know issue six so there you look under project x and uh you'll be able to find the other fascinating topics that that you can look into um but this was fun and uh let's see now don't 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 they rate the artwork on this show? I, I, I and, and all that. I wanted, to, I wanted to bring one thing up before before we go into the ratings. Can we talk about the use of onomatopoeia in this? Onomatopoeia. I used to have a goldfish named Onomatopoeia. Well, you got um, pedestrians paradise. Yes. There you go. But the th- oh, no, the thing I like about, about you know, onomatopoeia is, of course, the use of sound as language. Oh, okay. I'm, I'm, I was You're getting confusing the confused it with something alliteration. It was alliteration. Yeah. And it's really kind of cool. I like my second favorite panel behind it, beside, after, of course, the cup contains time itself, which is the a cup contains uh, Thomas. You and I may have to form a cult around this whole thing, a <laughs> whole mythology. It's really well, quite my, uh, my second favorite panel is on panel, is on page 26 after, uh, the, the manager suggests pedestrian paradise, and it's just the manager, like close up of his eyes, 
and twinkle. <laughs> yep. And the thing is, of course, that they use. I mean, I could see that. Like when I read that, I get a flash of like a cinematic thing of a guy with a, with, a, with a star filter in his eye. You know. Yeah. Yep. And, it and that little thing. What? Yeah. It conveys exactly what the artist, I think, intended to convey. I, I wonder how much is lost in translation in something like this. Um, Probably a good deal. Yeah, but it, it doesn't seem – it's not as wordy as as a lot of comics. So it was a quick read, but I wonder if you read it in uh, in Japanese if um, – if it, it maybe maybe the cup containing time itself sounds a little different, maybe that's something that didn't translate quite as well. But I think it's wonderful. Well, that, if you oh, notice the, the, the panel on the next page where the manager stands up and goes, "Right, I'll leave the vanguard on the pedestrian's paradise parade," <laughs> with all the speed lines around it, it makes it look yes. like a, a Kirby drawing. <laughs> Yes, well, they use that that a lot. That's part of that. That's part of what I would say the the language of it. And then I also notice that the English text in this doesn't take up like it takes up like half the word balloon. So I'm thinking it's been it's been condensed and absolutely par- paraphrased. <laughs> yeah. But uh, a fun a fun read, and I I guess if I had to rate this. I the for, for my first manga book, uh, uh, Kato Tadashi's artwork. I'm I'm gonna give it a uh, I, I loved it. I'm gonna give it an A because I love the use of 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 uh, the mixed media that he had there and how he put this book together. And uh, the story, I'm it it started off a little bit slow. A little slow, and I was saying, "Oh man, these guys are going to kill me." But it eventually got to be just fun. It w- it was fun. I'm going to give this. I'm going to go ahead and give the story a solid B plus. Almost, it's almost, almost an A minus, but a B plus. Uh, I think if I had seen it in maybe its, its original Japanese, or I, I, you know, I lost something in the translation. But yeah, it's a solid, solid, oh, solid B plus on on the story. I, I enjoyed it. I, I enjoyed it a lot. It was fun. It was a fun read. I'm I'm going to give it four blocks of top ramen out of five. <laughs> Such red string. See, I would I would give it three blocks if art is in ramen. Yeah. Which is more valuable. Than- four blocks of <laughs> yes. not by much <laughs> well, definitely uh, a fun uh, dive into my first manga comic so there you have it Project. all right well i think we should swing 180 degrees to <laughs> thomas's <laughs> oh we're gonna go we're gonna go to that yeah okay we'll go to the okay. one that's the that's almost exactly not this comic <laughs> yeah the one that i chose because i thought that the story behind the comic was more interesting than the comic itself, yeah. <laughs> We're talking about FX released um, through IDW in 2008, but actually it's a, it is basically fan fiction. Literally. Um, yeah. The story goes that John Byrne is part of his con- Continuing spiral of madness. Posted posted on his uh, message board 
that he would draw an entire comic for somebody for a commission price of $20,000. And apparently this fan, Wayne Osborne, had $120,000 hanging around. Oh, $120,000. He burned us all six issues of the initial miniseries. Oh, so so it was – I thought it was 20 – an issue, okay, at a cost of $20,000 an issue, okay. Yeah, holy wow. cow. So this guy basically spent $120,000 to uh, commission John Byrne to do the artwork for this series that he thought of. And uh, IDW, because IDW has a relationship with John Byrne, at the, at, still does, because he's – doesn't IDW do this, the Star Trek books, Chris? Yes, I do. Yeah, he's been okay. So, so they had uh, a relationship with John Byrne, uh, offered to publish it. So if it wasn't for IDW, this they probably have just ended up in this guy's closet somewhere. <sighs> so weird. So this is, like I said, FX number one. Uh, the cover features our hero, FX, in a costume he will not be wearing until the very, very end of the, of the comic. Confronting a giant gorilla holding a redhead. Like you do. Seems about, so, sounds about right. Sounds yeah. about right. And, uh, okay, so basic, the story is... The story of the, the story, not the, the story of the comic, is that we have these two kids and Tom and, and what was the other guy? Dave, wasn't it? Dave? No, no, it was Jack, right? Jack, his his friend, were Dave messing around Jack, in the park. He, he thinks of calling himself Blackjack, and I read all six of these folks. Okay, I I, I have all six of these somewhere. <laughs> They're not very good, but we'll get to them. <laughs> Uh, so they're playing in the park in any town USA when a giant thunderbolt – that's what it's supposed to be, but it's actually just like a big panel of orange light – comes down from the sky and hits Tom. And Tom is thrown into a coma, and when he wakes up, he finds out he has the power, and it's not quite made clear by the – by the artwork or any dialogue or anything, but I think what happens is if he thinks of something and makes the sound that something makes, he can create it. Well, there's your onomatopoeia again. There's your onomatopoeia. Well, it's actually there's a nice connection. So, like, he escape after he he sneaks out of the hospital play with Jack and they're playing soldiers and he's like oh I have a bazooka I'm going to do this whoosh and uh, he, this yellow bazooka shows up and uh, blows up a dumpster um, so he decides he's going to become a, a hero um, he makes a really ch- I, I, I give them this much credit he makes a really chintzy costume at first Uh, we are set up, we set up some of his supporting cast that really isn't very supporting because we barely see them in the rest of the, um, the love interest, who is this, this redhead, uh, who we barely see in the rest of the, the rest of the, uh, the series. Uh, and the 
bully Ace and his sidekick. And then there's a, a big fight with a giant monkey. Some references to some superheroes that we will see later in the in the in the in the series. And he beats up the giant monkey who ha- who can speak, by the way. Yes, he's he's a he's a speaking monkey, which is always a problem. I've never yeah. met. Yeah, unless you're Cornelius, most other speaking right. monkeys are jerks. He's yeah. also freakishly huge. He's King yeah. King Kongish. Not so quite King Kong King size. Kong, basically, King Kong, if he if he had the vocabulary of let's say a six year old. Yeah. Yeah, sort of like a King Kong Hulk Gorilla Grodd. Yeah. Combo. And so, I wondered when I was reading that, why are they bringing him to the zoo? <laughs> actually, they were bringing him out of the zoo because if you remember that there's there's that, that dialogue. Before they they go on the trip to the zoo, where they say, "I hope we see Silverback." Oh, that's right, that's right. So apparently, they're moving Silverback from the zoo to somewhere else. Right during public hours, where there's where there's people around. Very good move. And he's a very angry gorilla. I mean, yes. yeah, that's but the best he, kind of gorilla, though. Let me just, tell yeah. you, the angry gorilla. Saves the redhead, uh, um, and then he get receives a very mysterious costume in the mail, and then we see a very mysterious skull Skeletor shows up on the last page just to say, "Well, I'm the main villain. Hope you enjoy the show." And he has a chalice. He has a chalice, a ch- chalice from the palace, because the chalice from the palace is the really is true. <laughs> And you know, that chalice, it contains time itself. (laughs) Thank you, everybody. Thank you. So, um, this was, it was, apparently, Mr. Osborne did this Marvel style. Burn insists on it, because he said, I didn't want to make any new mistakes. Uh, it's amazing, um, how much... I, I got a kick out of trying to figure out uh, this was a, almost like a quilt made of every single comic origin superhero story that you have ever seen right down to Mary Jane, Flash Thompson, uh, the everything that's happened in Marvel, Starbrand, the little uh, bit of Brat the, Pack. Yeah. So so Mr. Uh, Mr. Osborne is a comic fan with a lot of money, and I'm sure he probably wouldn't be too happy to know I can download this for free and get it on my Kindle. Yeah, I, got <laughs> I, I guarantee this policy, did so. not make one hundred and twenty grand. <laughs> oh, man. But, it couldn't have. It couldn't it, have, even with John Byrne doing the art. It, uh, obviously, it looks professional. Yeah, it's you it's, know, burn it's, is is burn. It looks it's a professionally looking product, but it feels so amateur. Yeah, it it uh, I mean I, I got to throw I I love John Byrne. I think I I discovered my my real passion for an artist of comics, and this is going to be sound sacrilege to people, but I love comics, and I really loved comics when John Byrne started to draw Superman, and I think when he left Superman was the first time. I noticed or or felt awful that this guy was gone because I just loved it. He was the first 
the first artist that I really and 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 you know writer that I really really loved and 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 as much yeah, as I he was he it, was my first like because <clears throat> I started out with underground comics so those were the first ones I saw but when I started getting into Marvel and DC John Byrne was like one of the first the uh, the hot title at the time was his run of X Men yeah and well, I think uh, we can all both agree that Claremont the Claremont Bolt burn x-men is one of those landmark superhero comics and that's one of the first things i saw was i uh, somebody like was like you like comics right my friend has all these comics he wonders he'll get some to you for 10 bucks and i went over and it was the whole burn so i got to read all those and that was where i saw the art and then at the while i was reading those those were from the past a little bit and like his fantastic four were coming out and stuff and that his Indian, the first two issues of the Indiana Jones comic and stuff, which were just gorgeous. Yeah. You know, just prime at his prime. So that yeah, was, yeah, he was. Your story there, Daryl. Um, I think that that Superman run, and I hope that Michael Bailey doesn't get angry or that, was like a demarcation huh. because it was the first time he left a project before he intended to. Yeah. Because he I, left in a snit over the fact that they didn't like the idea that Superman killed the uh, uh, Phantom Zone criminals. Yeah, the Phantom Zone villains. I, and I remember it well. It seems like ever since then, everything he has done has been just to, I never liked this, so I'm just going to change it to what I think it should be. Yeah, uh, you know, I, like, I'm gonna agree with you on everything stuff. but Star Trek. Uh, yep, you took the words out of my mouth. I think that John Byrne understands Star Trek like almost no one out there. Uh, his everything that he's done, right down to his um, photo photo novels, is that what you would call them? Well, photo stories, yeah. or I don't know what they're what, what they're called, but yeah, terrific. His his spin on uh, Leonard McCoy, Frontier uh, Doctor. Terrific. Yeah. Uh, all all but, his IDW little Star Trek yeah. miniseries are Thank great. There was the one uh, that was basically featured number one. Yeah, yeah. As a character, and that was really good. And, and why, uh, Thomas, why, I, I have to agree with you when you said that, that, you know, maybe a downward spiral with the exception of the Star Trek that he has a love for. Why, why does this happen? To John Byrne, I mean, I mean, I can't blame him by for taking this money. To you guys got to eat, you know. But but uh, well, look, he, he made the offer, somebody took it up, and maybe he didn't think. I don't think he's half. To be honest, I, I'm I don't think he's half-assing it here. No, but I don't not, think he's putting his full. No, 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 of course not. It's obviously it's a job, it's work for hire. But still, he's not. He's he's giving a quality product for. The twenty thousand dollars he's been given. Oh yeah. I would have been satisfied with this product, but not like enthused. But then again, well, you this, can't this expect is... somebody to work be enthused about work for hire. You can hope that they will be, yeah. but you can't expect and, and, it. And to be fair, the the um, I was telling you earlier, Chris, that this when I read this comic, it reminded me a lot of a spoof comic that was made in the late eighties very early 90s by I think it was Dark Horse although I could be wrong and people will correct me if I called Thunderskull 
which was written by uh, uh, Gerard Jones before he, before we all knew he was a, a hideous douche nozzle. And it was supposedly written by a 18-year-old columnist for Amazing Heroes who, who uh, railed against the modern comic industry and, and all this. And it, it read, it was supposed to be satire. It was supposed to be a spoof of what a fanboy's view of what comics was. Yeah. I can this is that. sincere. and It reads like a spoof. It does. There's every element, like I said, of every comic that, that you're going to pick up. Um, I mean, it's, it's, it's like a little bit of Spider-Man and a little bit of Green Lantern. In uh, one of the later issues, the Foundation show up, and they are obviously meant to be uh, the Fantastic Four. And uh, in a later, later issue, I think it's like the, 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 the last issue... The, uh, the home front shows up, and they're obviously it's like, okay, well, that's supposed to be Captain America. That's supposed to be Scarlet Witch and the and and Quicksilver. It's 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 fan fiction, and fan, yeah. guys, I'm not knocking on fan fiction. No, I wrote a lot of I wrote a lot of fan fiction when I was younger. It helped me actually keep writing during a period where I was I was not feeling like writing anymore. No, you're you're right. Now I, I hadn't thought about that when I and I and, you know I bought every issue of this mm-hmm. when it came out because I I love John Byrne, but I I think that my that like a fine wine, I my taste in comics and my understanding has improved over the years that I can see this and I could say the artwork is good. It's not you can tell when John Byrne really doesn't have his heart yeah. into it. I mean, I artist he's he, let's just say okay. he's. Go slim on the backgrounds of yeah. this one. <laughs> Artist styles they change over the years. Sometimes they change for the better, and sometimes they change. They they get you know simpler. Charles Schultz, you know, toward the end right. of his career, you, you could tell that this guy was that he was you know losing it. He was getting shaky, and you could tell. Uh, I don't know if that's the case with John Byrne, or if he just. Did, I mean, if, if you look at his stuff on the X Men or his stuff on Fantastic Four. Uh, he, and you start progressing. Superman is is the last of of I think the beautiful, beautiful, beautiful John Byrne artwork. Even the Star Trek stuff, as great as that is, mm-hmm. the story is often stronger than I wish the artwork. The, 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 the artwork in in the Star Trek stuff is very similar to the artwork in this. But yes, yes. remember, in this, he's got to do it all. You know, he's yeah. penciling it and inking it. Whereas when he was working with Marvel on X-Men, it was right. more like a movie. Terry it's Austin. a more Yeah, and Terry Austin and John Byrne had a little Lennon and McCartney yeah. thing going and there. More importantly, uh, even though that relationship got very sour uh, towards the end of it, and I don't think you could put him in the same room for any, any length of time, uh, Claremont and Byrne had a good give and take and they fed off of each other and strive to make each other better if that makes any sense as it should i mean that's that's the best collaborations that you get i mean for me uh, does does strong artwork trump strong writing 
Could you read a comic sometimes mediocre artwork, but strong storytelling? Or could you read like I, w- I would read this just because it's John Byrne artwork and I could over. I mean, I wouldn't like the story, but I damn it. I like the way the guy draws, but it's a difficult read. And it, and when you get those two things that mesh perfectly, that is a great read. But I I when John Byrne left Superman, no matter how good the story was, if the artwork wasn't there and it wasn't, I, I couldn't, I mean, I read them all, I have them all, but I, I, I lost the passion. And, and, and I, to me, I, I can look at, at the artwork and almost give it, you know, if the story's awful, I mean, it, it, like you said, it, it's fan fiction. I love John Byrne. I, I read it and I'm going to read it because it's John Byrne, but it's just not, it's, just not that crazy. See, I thought it. I thought it was okay, as far as something derivative goes. As a matter of fact, I would. Uh, I would compare this in a lot of ways to like a lot of the modern, some modern television shows that are sort of mashups of mm-hmm. a bunch of different things. So it sort of feels a little timely in its presentation of being like a tribute to everything. But I thought it but was like again, okay. There's... Nothing wrong with that. There's nothing I was, wrong with well, being a tribute. Comic book and superhero stories, if you're going to go for just something that's not, you know, breaking the mold, mm-hmm. it's like rock music. It's it's you're you're it's going to be it, you know, it it doesn't have to be derivative, but a lot of times it is going to be derivative. You're play you you know, okay, so this character is a little like this and a little like that. You're going to run into that with superhero tropes. Yeah. That's the the thing is like for example um a lot of what Mark Waite did in the 90s was derivative of what came for a lot of what Alan Moore Alan Moore spent a lot of his career basically saying I really like those silver age comics yeah I was but, just I was just reading flipping through one of the 1963 comics. That's what I was thinking of. Exactly 1963 or the Supreme issues that he did. But the thing is, there is still something of those artists. Something they have to say. Yeah. I look at it. Those stories. Whereas this is just. I yeah, that's Al, uh, 1963 is Alan Moore and Rick Vage. You're you're yeah. you're dealing with a lot. You know. A lot, and they're and they're into. They were they were like, let's make a comic, you know. Yeah. And they thought about it. This was this is this is a, in in a lot of ways, a, a business trans yeah. transaction. And, and like you said, Thomas, this is a guy that had money to burn, and he had an idea for a comic. I see it as as almost a missed opportunity. Let's say that somebody had this amount of money to burn, and he had a great idea for a comic. Yeah. I mean, it, what it could have been. I mean, it, if, you know, yeah, this, has this a doesn't great seem idea. inspired, does it? Yeah. I mean, it seems like a guy wants a comic and he threw together an idea. But if somebody had a great idea that, that you know, there was no way he was ever going to get it published, he had the money. John Byrne could have could have drawn it and it really could have been something great. And it, it's uh, it's just too bad. And good for him. I mean, that's what that's... he wants to spend his money on. Fine. He, he the character has lived on. Believe it or not. No. I'm serious. After the, the six issue miniseries. 
No, no, no. I'm talking about FX. Yeah. <laughs> FX. No, I could totally. You could still. You could make good FX. Com- you could still like redo this. You could bring in a. You could do a swamp thing on this and bring in a really good writer and all of a sudden turn it into something good. But I'm sure. There's there's not enough there, I think, to inspire a real good writer, though, to go like, oh, you know, some there was something going on with FX, you know? Yeah, but, but um, he, he's he's the guy has put out I think, two other graphic novels with the character, although with like not John Burr, <laughs> but the same writer, but the same writer. Yes, Wayne. Uh, so, like I said, the character has lived on. For some bizarro reason, but there's you know, there. but like if you looked at this as like a college filmmaker's movie or something, you could say this guy could turn out to be you know, he's yeah. just starting out. He could he could turn out to understand more as time goes on or whatever. Let's, but look at all of the all of the comics that were almost you know canceled or canceled and brought back. You know, Daredevil was wow. terrible and and. Uh, all of these, all of these started out poorly, and you know they they eventually found their found their way. I'll tell you, during the '90s, there were a hell of a lot more. I mean, remember all, oh, comics worse than this that came out. <laughs> oh, the, the new universe. Oh man, the only thing I love from that, I, I used to like Starbrand, and I I like the artwork on that, and I like comics the greatest world. Don't, let's not forget that. Uh, yeah. Yeah. But, let's actually let, let's forget. Get most of that, but no, just gonna take Ghost out of there, and we're gonna forget the rest of it. And and <laughs> that's what a, Dark Horse did. This was a great choice because of that backstory and <laughs> and an artist that we all love. And the backstory is what makes this a really really interesting comic to dive into. You know. Yes. And since we were talking about Chris Claremont. <laughs> Ah, yes. Now we go into even more weird territory. Oh, no, we have to grade this one. Oh, okay. Um. Oh, yes, we do. Okay. <laughs> the art? Well, I mean, it's, it's, it's burn being burn. Um, so I'm willing to give it a B just on that, even That's... though it's lazy burn. That's yeah. exactly where I was thinking. A B, it's it's a B. I I didn't I didn't read it. I didn't feel cringy with it. I was just like, the it was a it was a quick read and it was fluffy. Yeah, yeah. I'm a, I'm a decent, solid. decent John Bernard. So it was it, it was painless for me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that that's probably the best. Yeah, I'll give it a um, B too. Definitely a B in my book, artwork wise. Um. The writing, however, mm. I'm going to be charitable and give it a C minus. Oh yeah, because it's it's all it, it it's all artifice without thought to plotting or development or anything like that. It's just a fanboy making it's fan fiction. It's a fanboy making shit up it, uh, it, in its worst see, form. I'd, I'd almost go B minus. But I'm gonna give him a C minus. I'm gonna dock him a full, full, a full letter point because if you, I, I, I'd want to be more charitable because it's his first try. 
but at the same time, if you spend 120 grand on your first try, put a little yeah. more, you know, get, get get really put put a little more heart into it, dude. Yeah. yeah. Uh, to me, it, it had it had some potential the powers he got, but I'd seen it all before. You know, I it, it's very new universe and very uh i'm i'm gonna give it a i'm gonna give it a c uh i'll give it a c and that's and that's i'm i'm being nice because you know like you said it's it's fan fiction it's not you know I, it's not mr spock making out with captain kirk or anything like that right. but i'm gonna definitely give it a, a c because you know good for him if that's what he wants to do roger kirk kirkman started out in fan fiction james paper yeah. started out in exactly fan fiction. and and look at where they where they where Robert look at where Robert Kirkman got where he's got his own freaking imprint now. Um, I would not expect Wayne what you, the fact that Wayne Osborne did nothing else. I think is indicative of how poor this 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 book's yeah. writing is. Yeah. Ugh. All right. Are we ready to move on to something not completely different, but pretty, pretty I have different? Such mixed feelings about Chris Claremont. Oh boy. We'll go into my pick, one of my yeah. favorite comics of all time, and the 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 scans I found of it also like reflect the condition of my comic yeah. too, which is great. Yeah, there were stains, and that was wonderful. Yeah. Bent up. There's actually tear a, on the right hand side. There's a tear on the cover, and, and it could they could have flattened it out so you yeah. could, wouldn't have seen it for the, yeah, it basically. And uh, I'll, I'll I'll say I'll I'll tell the story afterwards why this is such an important comic in my collection. One of my one of the crowning glories of my comic book collection. It is issue number seventy four from. October of 1978 of Marvel Team Up. And it is uh, featuring Spider-Man and the Not Ready for Primetime Players. So you got your Dan Aykroyd, your John Belushi, Jane Curtin, Garrett Morris, Bill Murray, Lorraine Newman, Gilda Radner, and even Lorne Michaels and Stan Lee himself show up in this. On top of... Of superhero of, of a few superhero quote unquote right. uh, cameos. So basically the story of this is uh, Spider-Man's taking Mary Jane to go see Saturday Night Live because that's a cool thing to do in New York City but he's Peter Parker so he's messed it up so they have to go up sit up in the balcony and they're running late and, and she's frustrated with him and uh, of course is is uh, as soon as they get in place, we find out that John Belushi has gotten a mysterious ring in the mail and put it on his finger, and now he can't get it off. He's freaking out. And uh, turns out that ring was supposed to go to the Silver Samurai, who wants his ring back, knows that it's been delivered to the Saturday Night Live cast, but he doesn't know which cast member it is. Hint, hint, that we're going to see every every cast member is going to get their cameo but uh so the silver samurai being smart knows that he's in a city full of superheroes so he what he does is he smuggles in a whole group of hey boss thugs to uh 
muscle up to all the Saturday Night Live players to get his ring back without getting the attention of a superhero, which, of course, is not going to happen since Peter Parker's standing in the audience and his spider senses alerted when a stagehand is 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 muscled away by uh, one of the thugs. So Spider-Man leaps into action, and it ends up being... Uh, hilarity ensues as we go. the entire cast begin dressing up as as superheroes. Stan Lee's mugging on the stage, and uh, the show is, of course, completely sabotaged by the shenanigans. But luckily, <laughs> everybody thinks just, it's part of the show. It's just a slapstick farce that really doesn't seem like anything like you would see on Saturday Night Live, but that's beside the point. But it turns out at, at by by the end of it, um, after after many thugs have been dispatched, that the Silver Samurai gets his his ring off John Belushi who it got delivered, was supposed to be delivered to a John B. Lucy, mm-hmm. but the the um, rain smeared the address, which is hilarious because just because it says John Belushi on it doesn't mean that they're both at 30 Rock. Well, but, he mentioned that John B. Lucy is all, also has an office in 30 Rock. Oh, okay. Okay, so it all makes sense. And the Silver Samurai puts on his ring which is a magic teleportation ring and says haha screw you spider-man i'm I got what my, I want. i'm uh, screw you guys i'm going home and and now i have a teleporter so i can show up at any time and kill you which i will do in the future goodbye thus making this unlike a lot of the other bizarre comics where celebrities show up in superhero comics this is officially Canon. Yes, the the repercussions of this will reverberate forever through the Marvel universe. Because the next time uh, the, the Silver Samurai shows up, Chris Claremont is writing him, and he still has that teleporting ring. Amazing. And uh, yeah, uh, and and also I'll mention the subplot in which Mary Jane looks like she's completely willing to. To uh, hook up, she'd yeah. hook up with a hot stranger, but with um, while Peter is gone, but it turns out the stranger might have been a, some sort of super pervert. Seventies <laughs> Mary, Mary Jane was just such a bitch. I, I, she was, she was I, not, I, you know, not supportive of Peter Parker. Not at all. You know, this comic, I was, I have a big collection of Spider-Man comics. I mean, they go way back. I'm only missing about seven or something and i didn't collect this particular title but i always knew that this title was out there but i never ever read it i i knew about it i knew it existed but i said oh why this is just gonna be kind of silly i never ever read it until uh you know pretty silly yeah it it is it is i i love i love that john belushi is is gets the box and it's it's in it's like there's like 10 boxes you know a smaller box and another box he's got to open another one he was probably expecting that box of cocaine to show up and uh and and you know it's this this ring and uh it 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 was fun i mean it was neat to see all the cast members there and uh although i gotta say bob holt does not know how to draw bill murray 
No, there's a couple pictures where he's almost sort of getting him, but he just sort of seems like this guy. Yeah. He's the most generic looking of all the cast. Yeah, the the final panel where John Belushi is sitting at that at the table did a real good job of capturing his mm-hmm. uh, yeah. uh, likeness. Uh, and did, so, why do you think this was done? Did they just want to capitalize on how you know how? Oh possible? yeah. For the same I mean, I mean, that Avengers issue, Avengers two thirty nine was done in nineteen eighty four. And and Marvel was, was a lark. And yeah, and, and I mean, it's just uh, Marvel has all their superheroes. It all takes place in New York City. Why not? Marvel itself is in New York City. Saturday Night Live is in New York City. David Letterman's in New York City. Yeah, why not? I mean, and you got you gotta imagine this sold some comics to people who might not, you know, buy every issue of Spider Man, but might buy this one. You know, the thing to keep in mind is that in 1978, uh, SNL was super hip. Yeah. In 1984, David Letterman was super hip. And Marvel has always presented itself as the hip uncle to DC's old fuddy-duddy uncle. Yeah. You know, we are New York. We live in New York, not Metropolis. You, You can't you couldn't do that. You know, with uh, in DC. So yeah, you're right, uh, Thomas. They well, they take advantage of that. And this comic shows a little bit of the friction, though, of you know, I mean, I mean, the truth of Saturday Night Live is they were all yes, yeah, snorting coke and having sex with each other or whatever. But still, Saturday Night Live itself was really edgy for the time period. <laughs> and there's only so edgy you can go in a Marvel comic unless it's like. Comics Have you ever book. read the uh, the oral history of Saturday Night Live? I have not. No, it is a massive book, but it is. I can so imagine big. it's amazing. It's like something like six hundred pages. I own it on Kindle. I could probably never lift it if it was. <laughs> um, but the the thing is, Saturday Night Live was built out of Lorne Michaels' frustrations with working on Laughing and the Lily Tomlin show. He intentionally wanted something more freeform, more edgy, more of its time, and I think that appeal that appealed to the uh, the Marvel Comics bullpen at the time, because like I said, they always Marvel Comics always fashion, presented itself as the Maverick, has we buck the trends, we make the trends. Um, yeah. But they, they, you know, and this, and and I think the thing that sums up the whole friction of that the most is Dan Aykroyd at one point says something like, "Oh, and then we do zany things," and I'm yeah. like, "Zany, huh?" <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like cut our own thumbs off. <laughs> yeah, it's or exactly. Or go to a, I, or go to they, they were really going to do the bass master on. There's a whole sequence. In the book, in the uh, Live from New York, it's called, uh, about how jo- uh, John and Dan Aykroyd found a, a shitty-ass bar in the village, like like a total cesspool, bought it, didn't change anything, and just used it as their party place after, after every episode. 
Sounds great to me. Okay. Yeah. That's not going to be in this. No, no, of course <laughs> now, not. We're not, not going to see the, We're not going to see Spider-Man at the after party at the cesspool bar hitting on uh, Carrie Fisher. Yeah. I, no. Don't keep us in suspense, Chris. W- what is your backstory to this comic, and why is it the pro- one of the prized uh, additions to your collection? Because I, this is one of the this is this I is the first comic that I bought from Walt Hadley. Scott oh, Gardner's and my comic mentor that. back in the in the old days. I remember, I remember like you know go and I mean if I could go back in time and and Scott probably has a better picture in his head because he was more familiar with Walt's collection. If either of us could go back in time and look at those shelves again, our minds would probably explode with the, you know, the key comics and just insane stuff that he had in there. And uh, he was pretty eclectic, too, so it was all over the place. And uh, um, and I just remember flipping through the Spider-Man one and seeing that one. And, and from from me picking out that comic... He was able to like he's he spotted Scott and I think that's why he sort of took Scott under his wing more than me, because I think Scott and him shared more of uh, the taste for the DC Superman era of stuff. And he steered me right into the underground. So he knew where my tastes were. You know, he, he well, in undergrounds and stuff like the spirit and stuff like that. He just took me in that direction and he was he was right about it but this was the first one that caught my eye i was just like how can this be spider-man and saturday night live and and then i just loved i love this style of art in marvel comics in this time period it was like not the most incredibly great art but it was super solid and Marie Severin is one of my favorite inkers anyway. I love what she, it, it's just very dense um, um, for the most part. Like the characterizations are really good. There's a million things going on in every panel. Yeah, I just, I love, I just way, love it. I it's love the way crammed. New York City, the way New York City is captured during this yes. period. Uh, 70s you can tell that it's it hasn't been disnified yet. It's still gritty and and it's still new york and that's one of the things i love about this time period of comics uh spider-man especially i think did a great job of of capturing new york of old you know they they could have gone more mad magazine with the caricatures of people but they tried to do just like a more photo real i just i just love it i love it but it's goofy at the same time you know, nowadays it's not quite as funny because, yeah, the, you know, all the characters are sort of sanitized and a lot of their dialogue has the feel of sort of like characters who, uh, you know, you've got the cast of Saturday Night Live, but they're on the share Christmas special. Yeah. And it's like, hey, Bill Murray, what are you doing here? They're well, not, you know, it's, it's got a lot of that sort of in, in, in it, but that's part of the fun of it, you know? Yeah. Have you? Ever seen uh, L- Lorne Michaels, the, the show Lorne Michaels did between his two stints as a SNL producer called The Big Show? I remember it. I never saw it. 
it was like Saturday Night Live, but it was it was done on like Friday at ten o'clock. So it was Saturday Night Live, but it was very cleaned up, and Ooh. and it's kind of painful. And that's kind of what the Saturday Night Live is. By the way, this is one of those rare handful of Marvel comics that have never been reprinted before. Oh, really? Never been reprinted because they didn't have it was a one-time rights deal. Interesting. So like that and the the issue of Giant Size Spider-Man where he teams up with Doc Savage gone forever. I don't know if they've ever re reprinted that David Letterman issue, but it wouldn't surprise me if they never have. Oh, interesting. I didn't know that. They should relicense them all and put them all in one. That would be really cool. David Letterman and, and, and the SNL. I mean, how awesome must get it together, be? form a super team. How, how awesome must it be to be? Yeah, why not? How awesome must it have been to be in SNL, though, and gone out and bought your Marvel comic with you in it, you know? Yeah. That must have been really neat, because I'm sure they were all, like, grew up reading those comics. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Well, remember, Bill Murray played the Human Torch in a radio series of Fantastic Four adaptations in 75. Oh, that's right. Yeah, I just That's right. He that. played Superman, too, in, in Saturday Night Live. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Bill Murray looks the least like himself in this, but he does get to actually beat people unconscious, which is... uh, He beats the one guy with the rubber rubber Thor hammer, but I swear to God, I forgot that was Bill Murray. I thought that was Dan Aykroyd. Yes, I know. And and I did the same thing and they refer I had to look at the color of his collar on his shirt and go, Okay, no, that's supposed to be Bill Murray. That's how little he looks like Bill right. Murray in this. But this was before I think they treated Bill Murray and Lorraine Newman as sort of like lesser lesser cast members yeah. in this because they were maybe well not Lorraine Newman but Bill Murray was came on a little later than the other ones yeah but he hadn't I don't think Bill Murray had c- cemented his legendary status mm-hmm. until after he got off Saturday Night Live I think that's when Bill Murray the legend emerged so. It's kind of it's kind of weird to see him as that in this where he would have been the zen hero of it if it was made today. Yeah. But it was I fun. I did, I did I've always The only thing missing agreed. to make it a, a perfect Claremont comic somebody mind controlling one of the one of the cast members. Yes. <laughs> Although wh- one of my favorite touches though is they did throw Statler and Waldorf in it. Yeah. So there's even a Muppets crossover. So that means the Muppets, Saturday Night Live, and Marvel are all on the same continuity. Where are you going to get that? Come on. Well, I think Marvel printed the Muppet comic, comics at one point. So. Oh, no, I think that was just like just like a joke reference some, that, that Claremont put in. Much oh, yeah. Like, yeah, I know, uh, but I'm, I'm putting it in continuity. When did Marie Severin... Marie, when Marie Severin was writing... Uh, no, no. Mary Jo Duffy was writing uh, Power Man and Iron Fist. She threw in a lot of Doctor Who references because she was a Doctor Who fan. Which don't mean don't mean that all that thirty years of bullshit is part of uh, it, Marvel it does, continuity. It does it does to me? <laughs> okay. I and and like. 
can we talk about just how meta it gets when you're reading a comic of Stan Lee on on Saturday Night Live doing the soft not, shoe, doing joke, well, doing the soft shoe, but doing jokes about the superheroes from Marvel Comics. Yeah, but they're same. they're all real, and they come in to to like do do story, <laughs> your story work at that. So it's like all sorts of le- layers of meta when they have Stan Lee on there. I've, they could have written Stan Lee some better material, though. But yeah, then again, yeah. maybe they wanted him to be kind of doofy. Then. Yeah. Yes, yes. I, I want to share this from the Marvel fandom wiki. Under, under the, the, the heading of continuity notes for this issue. I find this very, very interesting because this, this, we have to speculate on this. The appearances of Dan Ackroyd. Roy, John Belushi, Bill Murray, Jane Curtin, Jarrett, Garrett Morris, Lorraine Newman, Gil Narana, Lauren Michaels, and Ken Morrow should be considered topical references per the sliding timescale of Earth 616. However, the appearance of Stan Lee in this story should not. Marvel creators are the only real life people who are exempt from the sliding timescale rules as they exist <laughs> on Earth 616 during the modern age in their relative prime. So, my question is to you is this this we know the story still exists because it has repercussions so which cast of snl did did the spider-man of this present iteration of sliding timeline go to see you're blowing my mind man is this like is this spider-man meeting adam sandler and chris farley and chris rock oh man Oh, too deep. Is, is too the deep. Silver Samurai actually fighting his final battle against Opera Man? Oh, I hope not. <laughs> well, it depends on how that that battle comes out. <laughs> but yeah, I'm. You know, I, I I am glad that after all these years knowing this comic was out there that I finally got to check it out. Yeah. And uh, now, you know, now I got to Now I got to look up the uh, David Letterman one. I, I, I have that. That's another Spider-Man one, wasn't it? Or no, no, that was an Avengers issue. That was okay. part of, although there, there is a, a I know Spider-Man I... in the, in the, the, the two, in the aughts, which feature, uh, which features Lee Iacocca and Jay Leno. Okay. On motorcycles. Oh, I, I remember seeing Letterman somewhere in some comic. I, no, Letterman. The, the story behind this is a, which ties in with why we're here tonight. Um, the Letterman issue of Avengers was done for the first and only Assistant Editors Month. Oh. Okay. So, and I'm pretty sure. That the main editor of uh, the Avengers during that time was one Bob Hall, who oh. did the art for this issue. He wasn't the editor of that issue of issue number two thirty nine because, of course, the assistant editors were supposed to be doing them. Interesting. Yes, it's just it's just sliding sliding doors, timelines crossing over moment mm-hmm. there. See, now that one could be. The funny thing is, Avengers. 239 could be kind of booted out of continuity without any ripples because nothing happens that changes the status quo. Not the case here. Not the case here. There is a definite change in the, in the character. 
in one of the characters here. I never thought about that aspect of it. You're right. If I ever write the sequel to this, the soul of John Belushi will be contained inside that ring, and they'll bring him back. Well, let's get Dwayne. Let's get uh, Wayne Osborne uh, back on the horn and see if he wants to uh, wants to finish this one up. It's going to cost more than 120 grand to to license this out. <laughs> so, um, what do you? As far as the um, as as I guess the artwork on this, uh, what 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 when you when you when you saw it at you know at when you first saw this comic and you picked it up. Was it just because it's SNL, or did you get in there and say, "Wow, look at this art"? This is I love the art too. Yeah. No, I love the art in this. This is, this is my favorite kind of superhero, like Marvel style comic art. Is is this right here? That this sort of dense, dense style with well well drafted humans. <laughs> you know the the humans are very well drafted this 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 has a a little bit of like neil adams to it you know um uh thick lines thick inking lines mm-hmm. i love it it and and a, and every frame packed with details and things going on um another one of the of a few a couple years after this that that was sort of of this style that I really loved was the adaptation of uh, the Time Bandits movie. Okay. Was was sort of like this, and this this is what I sort of associate the comics of when I was a, a little kid of 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 looking like. Yeah. You know, and uh, I just love it. I love the I love the way it's colored. I I love the look of it. Every everything about it, how the pages are laid out. You know. I love they 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 cram they used to they they crammed a lot of dialogue and they crammed a lot of action in it and the the dialogue is a lot of fun in this it's you you get your money's worth out of this comic so I take it this is an A plus this is an A A A, a plus on both fronts writing and well let's go A A A writing A plus art. The the writing's a little a little little doofy and watered down, but they kind of had to. But yeah. still, little, um, little. What a! I'm very curious to hear what your uh, grade on uh, this. I one. would like to give this a special participatory medal because you can't really grade it in context of other comics because it is such an oddity. Interesting. So, um, you know, I would give it a, like, like a special commemorative ribbon. <laughs> Everybody wins. Everybody wins. Everybody lives. Um, but, um, it's the type of thing I don't think they would, I don't think they would do, like, like having Kiss show up in, in Harvard the Duck. I don't think they would do this anymore. No, right. don't either. Although that one is that one still has been reprinted. The one with Kiss in, in Howard the Duck that one has been reprinted at least once. Because you probably just have to throw Gene Simmons fifty bucks, and he's just <laughs> like, "Fine, man. Here's some blood. Go to town." Yes. Well, 
I, I I thought it was fun. I I'm I would definitely give the artwork an A, and I'm I would give the the story a a uh, a B plus a B plus on the story um, because it's it, it's just so weird. <laughs> it's just something that I I would never. I I, I, I think I it was an I think it all formed around the John B. Lucci joke yeah. and yeah. i think they wanted to have garrett morris dress up as thor too <laughs> yeah black thor was cool yes you know what's funny is that garrett Moore of, of all of these guys garrett morris when he came to snl was an accomplished writer he wrote broadway plays yeah he was one of the more experienced and and mm-hmm. arguably talented members of the show but he got stuck at, at sure, you know yeah Yeah, he got got stuck playing variations on I am black. Yeah. <laughs> I'm black guy. Excuse me, Black Thor, please, if you're going to get it right. So, yeah, I was, that was a... Can Black Thor be Blore? <laughs> if Black Frankenstein is Blackenstein and Black Dracula is Blackula... You've got something there. Black Thor is Blore. And and with without kidding around, I think this is probably the greatest selection of comic books that Back to the Bins has ever seen. Oh, definitely, I mean, definitely. Saying that, I mean this. I kind of feel bad for the regular yeah. crew to have to come in after Assistant Editors Month, especially after I've heard of the roster of, you know, I mean, let's face it, I I tried to set up a, an, a a a bunch of other people too, but they'd already been grabbed up. Yeah, yeah, they, they, they. But they, you guys are pretty good. Yeah, I, and you know, it, it, we're obviously going to be the, the, the best show. I, I, uh, I do feel sorry for everybody else, and um, it's going to be a tough act to follow. It's going to yeah. be. Plus, be a of tough course, act we're the only, we're the only uh, two true freaks episode of a, during that is participating in Assistant Editors Month that has a hot blonde. Yeah, and we're in continuity as well. That's true. Yes, we're always in continuity. There's a, there's this whole crossover. God, yeah. This Thomas is, has a time machine. We got it all, all covered. This Anything three, that goes out of continuity, we just go back and retcon it. This is a three-way crossover. So how about that? Uh, well, well, four-way if you count Tom DJ's watching. Ah, true, true. We, 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 man, it's just, it's almost too much to contain. Almost too much to contain. I feel sorry yeah. for anyone that has to follow this. But, you know, we just, we just give people what they want. So, almost as meta as Stanley in a comic <laughs> on Saturday Night Live. Doing and if you have $20,000, we'll invade your podcast too. <laughs> and just yeah. keep those cards and letters coming. You know, we'll, if, we'll take over. Anybody who has 120 grand, we'll slap together a comic for you, no problem. No problem. We have still have everything go on there. We got the we got the artists, we got the writers, everything. If if you got 10 bucks, send it my way. I can work something out. <laughs> Hell, we'll do it for twenty thousand dollars for all six comics. How about that? There you go. Bro. Just because we're not John Byrne. Or twenty bucks. Or twenty bucks. You know. That's what they really need to get for Back to the Bins is John Byrne is the guest host. Oh, absolutely. Uh, oh, we'd only just start. Uh, it, I I still want to know 
there had to be something, and I'll, as, as I've told you, Chris, I think Steve Gerber put it there. Uh, in water at Marvel, like the Marvel bullpen circa about 1978, 1980, that turned all, all of their writer artists into wackadoos. Because you look at Frank Miller now, you look at Howard Chaykin, you look at, they're, they're all wackadoos. It's the machine, man. It chewed him up. The man. The man. Stan the man yeah. did it to all of them. <laughs> <laughs> Me, I kind of realized John Burnett lost it mentally when he went on that rant against Jessica Alba. <laughs> but you know what? Cup of Noodles is still the same. Because so, you know why? The time itself is in the cup. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening to our show, and we hope you'll continue to join us each and every week for more good old-fashioned comic book back-issue awesomeness. You can contact Back to the Bins to leave feedback, comments, questions, suggestions, and criticisms via email at bins at twotruefreaks.com or by joining the Back to the Bins group on Facebook. Back to the Bins is a proud affiliate of the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network, which you may find at www.twotruefreaks.com. Two True Freaks is a registered trademark of DiManzo Corps of Milan, Italy. All rights reserved. Please take a moment to stop by the twotruefreaks.com site and check out their many other fine podcasts, won't you? Thanks, and we'll see you next week. That is freaky.